Let's pray. Dear God, we're here to celebrate your active presence in this community. The life here involves not only study and research, but relationships and our overall hope to worship you and be faithful to your call on our lives. You've been with us the whole way. And yet, as we gather and share of the ways you've been present with us, we humbly ask you to come. We ask you to come and shape the way we engage various projects and each other. We ask you to come and offer courage to students who encounter faith crises and financial crises amidst their studies. Lord, we ask you to come this year and open our eyes to the ways you are at work in the world, whether that has to do with your work in the tiniest atom, your work in the composition of a song, or your work in the lives of people throughout history who have sought to restore human dignity and your love that you have for creation. By your grace, God, you have allowed this community to be an instrument of your mission for over a century. God, we simply ask that you would come and continue to be with us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please remain standing. We begin this chapel season, this first chapel of the year, with faculty leading us and hearing from our president to serve as a reminder that your time in the classroom, that your academic journey, whether in the classroom or doing homework or in study groups, that in itself is an act of worship. And uh, please do not lose sight of that as you go through your academic journey. And we all come from different backgrounds, different Christian denominations and traditions. But as we know from our theme for the year one, in Ephesians 1, we read that we have one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. So let us affirm our faith together by reciting together the Apostles' Creed, which is read in almost every denomination and every Christian tradition, which gives the foundational statements of the Gospels of who we are and who we follow. Let us read that together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We begin this academic year gathered together in chapel, dressed in the pageantry of academic regalia. As a Christian institution of higher education, we want to acknowledge our part in the rich history of academe, while also giving witness to the God that we serve, who has blessed us with the ability and the privilege to pursue a Christian college education. The colorful traditions surrounding academic regalia, in the gowns, the caps, the tassels, and the hoods, date back to the first European universities in the 12th and 13th centuries. What began in the Middle Ages as clothing worn by clerics to provide warmth in the damp, unheated buildings, progressed by the time of Henry VIII of England to detailed codes of dress prescribed by Oxford University and Cambridge University. 
The assignment of color to signify certain faculties was to be a much later development, standardized in the United States in the late 1800s. For example, white was taken from the white fur trimmings of the Oxford and Cambridge bachelor's hoods and was assigned to the arts and letters. Red, one of the traditional colors of the church, went to theology. Green, the color of medieval herbs, was adopted for medicine, and olive, because it was so close to green, was given to pharmacy. Golden yellow, standing for the wealth which scientific research has produced, was assigned to the sciences. The gowns for the bachelor's degree has pointed sleeves, often cut off at the elbows, and it's untrimmed and designed to be worn closed. The gown for the master's degree has an oblong sleeve which hangs down in the traditional manner and is open at the wrists. The gown for the doctor's degree has a bell-shaped sleeve. It is designed to be worn open or closed. The doctoral gown is faced down the front with velvet, with three bars of velvet on the sleeve, and the color of the velvet may be distinctive to your academic discipline. Dark blue is typical for the doctor of philosophy. The hood originally had three uses, a head covering, a shoulder cape, and at the back and bottom of it, there's a little bag that was used to collect money at graduation, for obvious reasons. At commencement, the hood gives color and meaning. The satin lining inside the hood is the official color of the school at which you got your degree, and the outside color represents the academic discipline. As a Christian college, we are proud of the academic rigor that connects us to other institutions of higher education. But we confidently affirm that our commitment to God gives us a sense of mission and purpose beyond simply scholarly rank. Our scholarly achievements and pursuits are an active form of worship. Our pursuit of both faith and knowledge yield wisdom and understanding of truth. The students, our faculty, processed into worship today to demonstrate that while they have achieved important degrees, we humbly and prayerfully offer up our talents and achievements to the Lord as an act of worship. May God bless the work of your learning in all of our classrooms, our sporting arenas, our performance venues, and our chapel services this year, all for God's glory. Okay, take your hymnals, please. You're going to have to look at some notes. Sorry about that. Uh, would you turn to page 33, How Great Thou Art? On the second verse, all the ladies will sing the alto part, and Dr. Milliken will double the alto part with you so to help you. Okay, you need to open your book so you can see those notes, right? And the gentlemen, you sing the melody, the ladies all sing the alto part. Capiche? On the third verse... Our faculty administration will sing in four parts and demonstrate their excellent singing for you. Uh, that's, the, that's the third verse. We'll all sing the first and fourth. Got it? First one we all sing. The second one, ladies sing the alto. The guys sing the what? The melody. The third verse, you're out. We're listening to them. Okay, and the fourth verse we all sing. Stand, please. Page 33. With your hearts now.
Ladies and you're on the alto, gentlemen, melody. Everyone now, then sings my song, my Savior to me. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my song, my Savior God to me. How great from Ephesians 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord our that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know hope in which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparability, great power for us to believe. Thank you, and you may be seated. Standing might encourage me to shorten my remarks, but maybe a little bit more comfortable seating, sit, uh, sitting today. What a great crowd as I look out, and the sanctuary is just almost full. It is great to have each and every one of you here with us. Whether you are a new student or you're a returning student, we are really, really, really excited to have you here today. And how appropriate that on the very first day of classes, one of the very first things that we do is come to chapel and worship. Very intentional, and we do that on purpose, because we do believe, as Chaplain Corey McPherson said, that everything that we do is an act of worship, but we also believe that it's important to come together. Let me just offer a challenge, and I hadn't thought about this until I was standing up here looking out across. I'm going to give you a few more challenges today, but let me just challenge you to be here in chapel every single time. I know that we take attendance and you get a few cuts that you can take, and somewhere along the line you're going to figure that you need those, but there's going to be something important happening here, and this is a very significant part of what we do. So as the semester Um, goes on and you feel more pressure from classes and other sorts of things, let me just challenge you to make this a very important part of your week. 45 to 50 minutes twice a week, not very much, and a great opportunity to come and hear what God has to say to you through many really, really good speakers that Chaplain um, Corey McPherson has brought in for this semester. So, again, great to have you here today. I want to talk to you today a little bit about your story and how your story is a part of ENC's story and also a part of God's story. The story of Eastern Nazarene College has been being written for over 100 years by faculty, staff, and students just like you and me. Well, they probably looked a little bit different down through the years, but... They were very much coming for the same reasons that we are here today, to embrace Christian higher education. ENC's story began in 1900 as the Pentecostal Collegiate Institute and Bible Training School. And there will be a test to see if you can remember that name at the end of chapel today. Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold today. The story continued as the name and emphasis was changed in 1918 to Eastern Nazarene College and as it moved to Wollaston the following year. The story has continued through these years as individuals have continued to come to this very campus and the writing of their stories has become ENC's story. You see, ENC's story can only be written by individuals like me and like you. And I'm so happy that you are here with us today writing ENC's story. I want to talk a bit today about God's story that is being written even as you are here in chapel today and how whether you choose to or not, you are a part of that story and you have a choice about the story that you allow God to write in your life. 
My story is pretty lengthy at this stage in life, and don't worry, the clock is right down here sitting next to Sydney, and I'm going to keep my eye on that for many reasons. But for one reason, I know that these faculty members have been preparing all summer for that next class, and we don't want to take anything away from them on that. My story is filled with faculty, staff, and students at several different colleges who have contributed to my life and helped me to dream dreams and helped me in many different cases to open my script up to what God wanted to write in my life. At this point in life, I can tell you that God's script was so much bigger than anything I could have ever imagined when I was sitting at my first chapel. I hope you don't find this hard to believe, but actually 40 years ago this fall. At, <clears throat> excuse me. There were many points in time when I was fearful of the script that God was asking to write in my life. And the reason that I was able to take that next step was because of pastors, friends, faculty members, mentors, and many people that God surrounded me with who helped me be able to write that story or accept that challenge that God was asking me to do. Part of my more recent history just prior to coming to ENC seven years ago, was in Switzerland. Now, you know, somebody had to do it, and so I figured if they were going to ask me that probably I was the one that should suffer for the Lord in Switzerland, and it was quite a wonderful assignment. I was a specialized assignment missionary at European Nazarene Bible College, which is a small theological training school nestled in the edge of Germany and Switzerland right on the Rhine River in a very, very idyllic setting. As the story of my life has been written over the last three decades, I have become much, much more adventuresome than I was. And today I'm going to show you a little bit about one of my adventures and have a few pictures along the way that hopefully will help you get into the story. So first, to set the story in the beginning of the story. In June of 2004, I had friends that were missionaries at African Nazarene University in Nairobi, Kenya, that were on their way back to the States and stopped over in Switzerland for about four days. Now, I would not advise you to try to see Switzerland in four days, but if that's all you've got, then it's probably better than nothing at all. So as my friends were coming through, I was thinking of the very most special place that I could take them to, high in the Swiss Alps. So, of course, I took them for a couple of nights to my favorite place, which is a little alpine village called Grindelwald, high in the Alps. So we headed out for two nights. We drove up there, and after we got settled into the little village, we took a train trip up through the mountain, go through almost like two mountains that you go up through to get to the top of the third mountain, which is Jungfrau, to what they call the top of Europe. And there's a glacier up there. Few people around have been there, and it's just an incredible trip. Their daughter Megan went sledding on the, the glacier there. We took all kinds of pictures. We experienced everything that there was to experience up there at the top of Europe, and then we began to make our way down on the train. Now, you have to come back down through the mountains, so for a while, it's almost like you're in a tunnel, and every once in a while, they'll stop, and you can get off the train, and there's an overlook, and you can look out and see the gorgeous Swiss Alps. There's nothing like them, and it just was an incredible day. 
we were a little bit tired, but, you know, still kind of pumped with adrenaline from all that we were seeing. And as we were coming back down through the valley on the train, gorgeous valley there, I looked out the window, and as was characteristic, there were paragliders high in the sky there. And I just casually said, you know, one day I want to do that. And when I do, I would like to do it right here in Grindelwald. Well, Eldon just turned to me without even stopping, and he said, well, what about tomorrow morning? And I said, well, okay. And so we went back down, and at that point in time, it was a little bit late to chicken out. And so we made reservations for the next morning. And the next morning, we had our wonderful Swiss breakfast, and then we timed it right. It took about 40 minutes to go up the three lifts to the, the top of the mountain, And we timed it so that his wife, Mary, and daughter, Megan, could go up with us and still have plenty of time to get back down because, you know, if you're going to jump off the side of the mountain, you probably want somebody down on the ground taking pictures, right? And so we wanted to give them, they could have the mountaintop experience and see what it was like up there and then have time to get back down and be in place right where we were going to land when we came back down. So we had a little bit of time. We had coffee, which you always do in in Switzerland or in Germany. That's a thing to do. And we had coffee, and we kind of relaxed, and it was just an incredibly gorgeous day. And right about the time that the guides said they would meet us, we looked across, and here were these two men with backpacks on that looked like they probably had the parachutes on their back. And we kind of walked over that way, and sure enough, they were our guides, and we met them. At that point in time, more than it happened before, my stomach started doing these kind of funny little things. And, and you may have experienced that at some time in your life, and some of you may be feeling that right now, thinking about that next class you're going to go to. Uh, but as we started walking down the little grassy knoll, I realized that it was pretty short. And I could look across to the Eiger, which was one of the highest peaks in Switzerland, and I was almost at eye level. And I realized that we were going to kind of run down that hill and jump off that cliff. And at that moment, I thought, what could you possibly have been thinking? But I didn't really want to back out, so I kept going. And as we um, get there and they begin unfolding everything and getting it ready and and all of this, and then I start thinking about being out there, um, just up in the air. And I said to the guide, who was much taller than me, I said, so, like when we sit in the little harnesses and all, am I going to be in front of you or behind you? And he said, in front. And I go, oh, that's kind of what I thought. Because at that moment in time, I wasn't thinking about what you could see. I was just thinking about the fear of hanging out there in the air and running and jumping off that mountain. But in spite of all of the butterflies in my stomach and the fact that my stomach was doing flip-flops, at that point in time, I was going to go ahead with it. So we get all fastened in. He fastens me in really well, and we're ready to go. And he says, okay, now when I say run, you run. And don't sit until I say sit. 
And I'm telling you, and you can see some of the picture, that, that little cliff there was not very long, and it was a really long ways down. So I knew that we couldn't run for very long, or we would be running right off the cliff. But it was too late at that point. I guess it really wasn't. I could have stopped, but it seemed like it was too late. And I thought it would take a long time, but it didn't. In just what seemed like a few seconds, he said, run. And I took four or five steps, and he's yelling at me, and he's going, don't sit, don't sit. And I go, but my feet won't touch. And he says, don't sit. Well, I didn't think my feet would touch, but if you can kind of look at the picture, and um, as I look back at the pictures, I think I did. Just involuntarily, you just kind of sit. You just kind of move back. But in spite of that, in just a few seconds, it caught the wind current, and it lifted us up. And it was the most incredible feeling at that moment in time to go totally from absolute fear that you are, why in the world would you do this? I mean, it was a choice. I didn't have to jump off that cliff. I chose to do that. Why would you do that? But you go from that absolute fear to that feeling of just soaring. And at that point in time, I was literally at eye level with the Iger. I could see one of the glaciers. Um, You know, this is one of the highest mountains in Switzerland. You could look all around at the wooded areas. You could see the little village down below, and it was just an incredible experience. Now, when I experience the Alps anyway, or any mountains, I am always reminded of God's creation and the magnificence of the mountains and the greenery. But when you're actually soaring up there with the birds, or it felt like above the birds, um, you, you know, you just think once again how incredible the creation of God. And we were, I was right there in the middle of it um, with the guide. It was supposed to be about 30 minutes, and instead of 30 minutes, it was probably closer to 40 to 45 and I think the reason for that is my friend that was still waiting to jump off the mountain I think it took them a little longer to get the current and get ready to go and my guide just kind of kept us up there so at one point in time he said so do you like roller coasters and I go yeah and he goes okay hold on we're going to the right and he just kind of twirled us around to the right And then he said, okay, hold on, we're going to the left. And we trolled around to the left. Now, you can imagine that my friends down on the ground were trying to figure out what in the world was going on because when you see all of these paragliders up there, which is fairly normal in Switzerland, you don't usually see them twirling around like that. But it was an incredible, incredible experience. And then he began to bring us in just as carefully as he had done everything else, and we kind of came around. We swooped right over the houses um he was incredible at going right around the power lines we never came close although we went over them came right in and at that point in time this was in june and in june the swiss wildflowers are just absolutely gorgeous and you could just see those as you came in for a landing we came in he said now you'll probably need to run a little bit but he brought us in so smoothly that we took one or two steps and we were down and it was over. Now, I've thought about that a lot. It's a great story, and it's a fun story to tell, and maybe you'll even think that I was brave 
Some of you were thinking it was something other than bravery that would cause you to run and jump off a cliff. But there were those few minutes of fear when I just thought, I can't do this. I'm going to jump off a cliff. And then that was in that incredible feeling of soaring, that there's no way you could experience unless I had been willing to follow the guide and jump off that cliff. And I've thought about in my story, and I told you we were talking today about how our story fits into ENC's story and, and God's story. Um, my life probably would not have been a lot different if I had chickened out at the last minute and not gone on that trip. I probably would still be here today talking to you. It'd be a different story. <laughs> but it probably would not have changed my life significantly. But there are those moments in my life and along my journey over the last 58 years where the Lord has been asking me to trust him when I couldn't see over that mountain. And it felt like he was asking me to jump off, literally, a cliff that I could not control. And those moments, had I said no, would have changed my life and my story. And God's story that he was able to do in my life and through me. So as you think about that today... Think about the times in, in your life when the Lord has said, you know, I know you can't see across that mountain. I know you can't see on the other side, but I can. And I'm not asking you to walk off that cliff by yourself. I'm going to be your guide, and I will be right there with you. Some of you may even be feeling like that today like actually making a decision to come to college and start classes today and maybe you've already been to that first class and you looked at the syllabus and you thought, what in the world have I done? I am not ready for this. Some of you have no fear and you are ready to just take on anything. And um, I would even caution you along the way that some of the guides that are here could probably help and that rudder as, as you go through. Some of you are probably thinking about things that are happening at home right now that really are, are maybe pretty tough, and you may even be wondering why you're here when you should be at home taking care of family. There are all kinds of things that each and every one of us bring with us. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, I think there's some other lessons in this story for each of us. The Lord doesn't say he'll do everything for us. He says he'll be with us. He will guide. He will help us along the way. And if I'm going to jump off a mountain... I would say that Switzerland's probably the very best place in the whole world to do that. Switzerland is known probably more than any other country for its precision. Its trains are on time, almost to the minute, every single time, as opposed to an Italian train um, just a few miles away from that. You know about Swiss watches 
and the precision that they have. So I knew that that guide had met all kinds of requirements, had had all kinds of training, that all of his equipment had been tested, and I was in probably the very best hands that I could be in at that point in time. There are many choices that you'll make every day, whether to go to class or sleep in, whether to come to chapel when maybe you've got another cut left, whether to do your reading and studying in the library or in the dugout, whether to involve yourself in discipleship groups and ministry opportunities, whether to get that assignment in on time, whether to do just enough physical training so that your coach won't yell at you or to go a little bit beyond and do what you really need to do to get yourself in shape to be the best that you can do. We all make decisions. And some of those decisions are decisions just to do enough to get to tomorrow. Some of those decisions are decisions that you make to accept the challenge and to actually challenge yourself and utilize the resources that are around you. Um, the Lord's not going to take the test for you. Your professors aren't going to take the test for you. They're not going to study and do the assignment, but they will help you, and they will be there with you uh, along the way. Quite a few years ago, a wonderful friend of mine named Bob Benson put it like this in a poem. The title of the poem is Digging. God and I raised a flower bed. He really did the most, I guess, because we used his soil, his air, his water, his life, his sunshine. My part seemed so trivial that I said, Lord, you take those flowers and make them grow right here in the box out in the garage. You don't need me, Lord, and you can do it by yourself. No, he said, I want to do my part. I'm waiting to begin, but you must do yours too. You'll have to dig the bed, bury the bulbs, pull the weeds. Okay, I said, and I did my feeble part. And God took those bulbs, burst them with life, fed them with soul, showered them with rain, drew them with sunshine until we had beautiful flowers. And then he seemed to say, your life is like a garden, and if you'd like, we'll make a beautiful thing. I'll furnish the soil of grace, the sunshine of love, the rains of blessing, the wonder of life, but you must do the digging. Lord, you just go ahead. Make me what you want me to be. Make me a saint. Fill me with compassion. Give me great faith. No, he said. You've got to keep your heart tilled. Sow the weeds of evil. Chop away the second best. I'll make you anything. Pure, clean, noble, useful. Anything you want to be, but only if you dig. And just as I had a professional Swiss guide there on that mountain, you're surrounded here at ENC with faculty members who are professionals and ready to take on the challenge of helping you to dig deeper. Think outside the box, master the material, and learn to ask the significant questions. They're also here to journey with you when it seems overwhelming and like they have just asked you to jump off the mountain without a parachute. And I will assure you, there will be that class period where you feel like they've asked you to do that. But remember, they're there to journey with you. You have professional guides all around you. 
And there are parachutes and other professional guides here in many different places. You have RDs, librarians, coaches, staff in the Center for Academic Success, spiritual development, student development, and of course the Brickley Counseling Center as well. Don't ask, don't hesitate to ask for help from one of these professional guides. You have made a great choice and you are literally surrounded by expertly trained professionals who are here to help. And as you begin this year and continue writing your story, let me encourage you to surrender that story to the master script writer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just coast. Accept the challenges and challenge yourself beyond what you can easily accomplish on your own. Some of you can do that. Some of you have skills and abilities, and you can just kind of get by without doing a lot. And I would challenge you today to make the most of the opportunities that you have and challenge yourself academically and spiritually to achieve all that God has in mind for you. The verses Professor Giles read from Ephesians today, let me just remind you of a couple of those verses again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not so that you can be the wisest person in the whole world, but so that you can know Christ better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Notice the word hope. If you listen to the news these days, there's not a lot of hope in the world around us. But we live with a different set of priorities. We know that our hope is in Christ. And no matter what's happening around, we have that hope and we have access to God's incomparably great power for those of us who believe. So let me say to you once again today, God's script for my life has been so far beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. And I could have missed many of those steps along the way if I had let the fear or my need for control and going the direction I thought I wanted to go rule my life. So today, on this very first day of classes and this very first day of chapel, let me challenge you once again to listen to that still small voice of the master scriptwriter and be open to what he has to say to you today and throughout this next year. Page 455, the first verse we'll all sing, the second will be the ladies, the fourth the gentlemen, and the last will be us all. Please stand.
Ladies, second verse. Gentlemen, verse 4, gentlemen. standing as you receive the benediction from this chapel today. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the world. You have created all the universe, even beyond all our imagination. And yet, you invite us to call you our Father. You so loved the world that you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live among us and to be our Savior. As we have been singing this song, Take My Life, we find an irresistible voice rising within us. In praise we bow before you, and in adoration we give you our lives. Father, may that be our blessing and our dedication this whole year, and we do ask your blessings and your guidance in all we do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go with God. Go in his peace, and you are dismissed.